everybody, and welcome to As the Pen Turns Q&A Day number two. With me is one of my co-hosts. One of our co-hosts had some things he needed to get ready for tomorrow, in or tonight in reference to tomorrow, so had to gracefully uh, take a break for the evening. But we've got, we've got, who, who do we have with us here? <laughs> Uh, as ever, Jonathan with the Carolina Pen Company. And I'm, of course, Brad with the Mythic Pen Company. Um, we did a lot of catching up before we, we started the episodes. <laughs> We've got, we don't have a whole lot to talk about, you know, in the general blah, blah of the beginning of the episode. Yeah, no, it's been work as usual. Uh, just the daily grind, not a whole lot of different uh, things going on. Getting ready for the holiday season to, like, it's coming up fast. and. I'm ready for it. I'm going to break. <laughs> right. And I don't think it, that I don't think that it would be too much to ask for makers to take a break during the holiday season and get kind of away from the lathe a little bit, spend some time at home with kiss and Ken um, yes. in the immortal words of, of the Griswolds. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things to where I've got some time in a couple of, in about a week where I can take a few days off and I'm trying to figure, do I want to get a jump on, Cause I'm doing the Atlanta show. I don't have plans to do any before that because of my work schedule. I can't get to any of them. So I'm going to do Atlanta and I'm like, should I go ahead and get a jump on that now? and just start roughing pins out. <laughs> and so I'm trying to balance. Am I going to do that? Or what am I going to do? So I might just sit on my butt on the sofa and watch trash TV and Christmas movies all week. I don't know. I haven't watched die hard <laughs> enough this year yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have my first show is middle of February. So I've already been in the getting stuff ready stage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. It it creeps up on you so fast, you don't even think about it. And then, you know, if you think about it too hard, then, okay, I've got all right. My first show is in L.A. middle of February. Then I have Baltimore beginning of March, Atlanta in April, Chicago in May, (laughs) Portland in June. (laughs) Then it becomes like, oh, what am I doing, man? What am I doing? Why do I do this to myself? Right, right. My my problem is since I only do usually like I try to do Atlanta and maybe D.C. just because of my work schedule and everything. Um, my problem is like, I'm like, okay, we're doing Atlanta. I was like, man, I still got like three months, four months left. I can knock stuff out. And then you get like three weeks away and you're like, where did the last three months go? Right. I could have been doing this like a couple of pins a day and taking my time with it. And now I need to make like a hundred in the next 72 hours. <laughs> and they all and, be sanded, polished, buffed. Right. <laughs> right. That's when you, that's when you make the decision, you just make them all matte finish and go with it, you know? Cause you, at that point, <laughs> hey, hey you're, that's my line. You're a black cap and send it. I am tumble finish and get it out the door. Right. Right. Hey, I don't blame you for that at all, man. That, you know, um, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. No, no. And then a lot of them, I personally think materials look better, Matt. That's just, I'll give you that. There are some, and and I'll use some of yours in example, like um, the earth magics look really good. Matte finish. Oh yeah. Your mystic sucker punch, mystic soul sucker look really good. Matte finish. Primary three looks really good in a matte finish. 
However, then you have like your Fubuki. That's got to be polished, in my opinion. That one is one that, to me, because it brings out the grays and it brings out the translucent portions of it. And you cannot see that if you mad finish that, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. You know? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll concede to that. I know, uh, what is it? Fire Opal, Unicorn Blood, and Unicorn DNA have to be polished no matter what. Otherwise, Fire, Japanese Autumn. Fire Opal is freaking amazing when you get a good polish on it that that fleck that you put in there it's so shimmery beyond what shimmery should be allowed to be so <laughs> most people know that the pigments that get used in a lot of uh blank making is uh loose powder micas or that's mostly used in the cosmetic industry yeah so the stuff for fire opal japanese autumn and a handful of other blanks uh those pigments come from the automotive industry mm-hmm. where they're specially made to have that a uh, spectacular dazzle to it i guess would be Man, the best way to put it it's it's low rider paint jobs dude like yeah, the can- yeah, yeah, the yeah candy paint jobs or like i remember when it's i the first started that you would lay the candy on top of yeah, like when I first started making pins, I talked to you about making some sort of a exclusive blank, and I said I wanted it to be like bass boat look. You know that bass boat, that glittery bass boat finish, shimmery. Sorry, not glittery, um, <laughs> but you. that like that either that old seventies bowling ball or bass boat finish, or the old vinyl uh, seats in the in the bars. You know how they had that super yeah. shimmery. You know, yeah, that um, giant flake. So those, you know, those have to be have to be polished, in my opinion. There's a couple. Um, I've got a couple from Tim, Tim Crow, um, like Growler. Growler looks good either way. Um, the Hallow's Eve that he made looks really good, Matt, but it comes alive when you polish it. You know, it, it bad matte finish. It looks really good. However, you give it that little polish and the reds, there's some translucent reds and oranges in there that just pop and. I think you get you have a trouble seeing those translucent pools in the material if you don't polish them. Yes, yeah. Unless it's uh, if it's a a deeper translucent color, yeah, the gloss will bring out that color. If it's light enough in saturation, you can get away with it being matte. I have one uh, called Blood Money that yeah. that that looks really good either way. It, it, I think matte brings out the translucency more because of the way the red is saturated and then polished the metallic gold that's in there comes alive. So it's, I think I was owed. I think I'm owed one of those blood money. Didn't I name that one? Uh, no, Did, I named it. Well, um, I thought I came up with the name on one of your lives or either in a, in a, in a conversation or something. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm owed one of those for some reason. I thought I sent you some. No, I, I, I think I think I, I was going to order some on that. I was going to order some, but it was no, I ordered two because I had a commission. Yeah, I didn't order a bunch of them. I just got like two of them just in case I messed one of them up. And yeah, I was going to say I fulfilled that. Oh, it's, a, it's a it's a beautiful <laughs> material, too. It's a beautiful material. No, I'm just I guess I'm just making things up in my head. I don't know. Yeah. And people do that from time to time. They do every once in a while people just get the wrong idea about everything but so <laughs> as we discussed in our last episode we we had our little giveaway contest thing that we put on the instagram page and it like blew up in our faces 
um, <laughs> in a good way. In, in the right? best way. Yeah, in um, the best way possible. Uh, we got 10 pages worth of questions, so we're going to do a few Q&A episodes. And this is the number two Q&A yeah. episode in the, uh, in the, in the, I guess, I don't want to call it a series necessarily because we may skip one. I don't know. But uh, yeah. again, thanks to everybody who sent in a question or who who sent us a question to ask, because this has given us material. It, it both gives us material to talk about, and it also lets us know what y'all want to hear about. Yes, definitely. And that helps because in, other than that, it's just on us to come up with what we think is fun. And yeah, we have to tailor the episodes to the to the masses. And sometimes right, right. there's so many facets to what everybody wants to know. It's just difficult to. Yeah, put it together like you facet it one way. It's kind of like you remember that little board when we were kids that had the different like the circle and the star and you had to tap them through with a hammer. (laughs) You have to facet it in a way where it fits the right receptacle, you know, so, (laughs) you know, but thanks again for everybody that sent in a question. Um, I want to kick I want to kick things off with a question, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Um, from sister, I gotta, I gotta make fun of Jason <laughs> since he's not here from sister T. Um, he's a longtime fan of the show. Uh, thank you for the question. It says, do you find that you have to work harder to get people to appreciate your work and see the care, uniqueness, craftsmanship, and true value of a maker pen compared to a commercial pen? Yes. Kind of. there's my answer let's move on no um (laughs) so so here's my take on it and we'll get jonathan's take on it uh shortly but my take on it is a lot of the issues with commercial pens is that commercial pens have been made for so long hundreds of years at this point right and you know there is such a following for those commercial pens because it is a uh it is a an engineered product it has been it's gone through many iterations and r&d and research for a lot of it and there is a certain amount of what you would consider to be reliability in something that has been around for so long um there's a certain amount of certain manufacturers have have gotten that mystique about them that you know a lot of people will have that grail list of pins or that list of pins that they want in their collection that has a Mont Blanc 149 um uh uh a Visconti Homo sapiens um you know the the pilots the certain you know a couple of sailors and things like that and that's that's awesome i wouldn't take away anything i wouldn't try to take anything away from the commercial pen industry at all um not talking any kind of crap about them at all but as a maker we just feel differently about the pen world i mean don't we yeah. yeah. Um, because what we see from our side of things is we get a lot of comments from people about, well, you know, it's not truly handmade because you stick a nib in there and you do this. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. The pen itself. Our hands are involved in every process of making the pen itself, not necessarily the nib, not necessarily the converter, a, you know, the 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 actual physical pen we make. And I, I didn't really think about that until I just said it, you know what I mean? Like, cause, cause we've heard before the whole, you know, well, you didn't make the clip. You bought the clip from somewhere. Well, I made the pen. The pen needed a clip. 
and I don't make clips. So, you know, I've made one clip, but, uh, so, and, and it's kind of difficult. It would be difficult for a small maker to break into like the commercial world, but we're not trying to do that. There's two separate worlds here in the pen, in the pen community. Yeah. And there are a large group of awesome customers that we all have that appreciate everything we do as small makers. They get it. They understand what we do. But then we have the people that are kind of like either like dipping their toe into the pool of the maker world that have always bought mass produced corporate pins. And that's cool. Welcome to the party. You know, I mean, let's talk about it. They take a little bit more time to warm up to it's not just another I'm trying I'm trying to put an I'm trying to not put a negative spin on it because like you said, there's nothing wrong with manufactured pins. Um well, it's, just, it's not just another manufactured pin. Yeah. Yeah, they you know, like you mentioned, a lot of uh I should say a lot of people, some people say Custom pens are just no, 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 Jobo sticks. Right. Well, how many manufactured pens use Yovo nibs or use Bog nibs? Yeah. Well, I mean, beyond that, the the nib is the one consistent part of every fountain pen because every fountain pen has to have a nib. Right. Where that nib came from isn't the it's the biggest deal about the pen, and yet, in a sense, it's not. It's more, if you come to terms with every pen is going to write a certain way, then it's all aesthetics from there, and it's personal preferences. Agreed. And being able to find whatever it is in the marketplace, whether it's a manufacturer or a small maker, finding what speaks to you and what brings out that emotion in your writing um like i have a tagline uh that i almost it's it's an amazing tagline and i'm i've had it for like 15 plus years and i've i never use it that's the reason i came um, up with a tagline for my business is because i saw yours <laughs> i mean mine is putting your personality in writing there you go and i mean it's you know it's a little tongue-in-cheek way of saying you know, write with flair and write with something that has flair, you know, just find, find what works for you. And like I said, what inspires you in your writing, right? Whether, you know, it doesn't matter who makes, who makes it at that point, because there are small makers that are pen manufacturers. Uh, Ian Schoen is a great right. example. Right. And he's got um, his own nib that he makes. Now. Yeah. He has the, the, is it Monarch or Monarch? Monarch, Monarch, I believe. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's good for him. I don't a, want to mess with that crap. It's, a, <laughs> it's it, well, it's it's an amazing you know engineering accomplishment for him, and, and, and good for him, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he sells pens direct. He's he he has retail outlets now that he works with. Yep. He's in he's in pen stores in Japan for crying out loud, and that's freaking amazing. Yeah. So for someone who started and he started as a small maker. Yeah. And, and I mean, he still would be considered a small maker in the, well, in the giant quote, unquote, grand, in, yeah. the, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> Good for him. So, 
I don't want to ever have to make that many pants. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well and, when, and when you have the right machinery, it, it makes things a little bit easier. Well, yeah. And and the hours of research and design that go into that, I don't want to have to deal with that either. Um, oh, dude. Yeah. But you're not. <laughs> and and here's here's one thought. You were saying, you know, the nib is not the... You know, it, the nib is the only consistent thing. You're not going to buy a pen from a small maker because of the nib that's in it. Right. Typically, you're going to buy it. Oh, I really like what this maker does. I like what this maker stands for. I like their business. I like the way they combine colors. I like the way they shape their pens, whatever. The nibs, it, it, it's going to be a Bach or a Yovo. And they're pretty much the same except for the piece of plastic that screws into the pen. They're virtually identical. They're 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 metal nibs. And most all the makers that we that we deal with and we know, they only use either they use Bakker Yovo and maybe a couple of other, you know, we can get some Magna Carta nibs or we can get one from here or there. Yeah, Schmidt actually has a screw in that's true nib unit that uh is it Benu. Uh, yeah. uses and they're actually really nice and i actually used some in my earlier years because i because there was a vendor that had them available i just personally didn't care for the way i had to build the section to make it fit right kind of like that's the also the reason the main reason i don't like to use bock nibs i can't stand that the threads are at the very end of the housing which makes which dictates how big of a section you can make and how small your threads, your right, your threads that screw into the body can't be a certain diameter unless you make the section extra long to compensate yep. for that, that weak point. And, you know, it's just a comp for me, it's a compounding issue and design wise, it doesn't fit what I make. So I just I don't, don't like use it. it. I just don't like that they can't have the common decency to label their nib sizes. Well, yeah, there's other outstanding reasons. I mean, that's that, that's, that's the part one. that makes me mad about it. Because um, if you, well, God forbid, I I use these little these little <laughs> plastic, you know, organizing boxes for like everything in my life. It seems like, and God forbid, I would drop one of those on the floor that had all my Bach nibs in there. Yes, it's actually happened to a nib vendor before. Oh uh, no, this, this is going back. So the one of the earlier Bach vendors was called uh it's either the classic nib or classic nib. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not nibs.com. It's not the the retailer out in California. This was a a person who mostly was a vendor for the kit pen industry kit pen industry. And just as the custom makers were coming onto the scene. He saw an avenue for the marketplace, and he started bringing in Bach nibs. And these were the ones that were stamped Bach, not blank. Yeah. And again, no no labeling of the sizes. So he did that the exact same thing. He kept, he had a little organizational bin, and one day it actually got it ac- accidentally got knocked off the table, scattered on the floor, and, and he had to sit there with calipers. Oh my! For hours miking out each tipping to try to put them at least in some semblance of the right place. I would have just set the place on fire, collected the insurance money and went home. <laughs> he eventually sold out his business. And I think he moved to Costa Rica, if I'm not mistaken. That probably drove him to it. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you know the thing is 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 the nibs are not you know Bach nibs are not poor quality nibs. Uh, there are a lot of commercial. I know like Monteverdi uses Bach. Um, there's a few big time commercial pin makers mm-hmm. that that use Bach. Um, Yovo has just been traditionally the easiest for us to get in large numbers at a decent price. Yes, they're labeled. Um. And like you said, the the nib section, it's got an unthreaded portion at the end of it to where. So for those of you who who don't know what exactly Jonathan was saying by that, if you're not a maker or if you're a new maker that hasn't experienced that yet, when you make your section, the 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 threads for the nib are at the very bottom of it, close to where the tenon that screws into the body is. Yes. And now we've taken that tenon and we have threaded the outside of it so it will screw into the body. Well, what that did is we cut that to a certain diameter and now we're cutting it thinner in a V shape to make a thread. So if you have to go on the inside of that and make it even thinner by cutting threads on the inside of it, it can break. It's going to, that's the weakest point of the pin to begin with. Yes. And so I never thought about the thread placement and now I'm all like, Adding yeah. it to my list of things, of reasons I'm going to use Yovo. Yeah, that's the main reason why I don't use, why, well, I, why I never used Bach. Um, QC, back in the day, the QC was pretty poor. Nips could be crisscrossed in the tines. And Ooh. Uh, yeah, Bach used to have a lot of QC issues with that. But Joe has had their own QC issues, not with the metal nib, but with everything haven't else. They, haven't they? So, I mean, it's pick your poison, right? Pick which find what you want to use because, and this is a question we're going to get into in a, in, in a minute here. You're going to have to tune the damn thing anyway. True. So we'll jump in. We'll, we'll dive down that rabbit hole here in a minute, but you know, yeah, the threat placements is critical to the stability of the structure of the section. Yeah. Uh, when I mentioned the Schmidt uh, units, it's a number six nib, but I want to say the threads are a the same as a number five Yovo. Okay, nib. so you can you can maintain your wall thickness on your section, uh, at least on the back end, because yeah. it's it's much smaller but the flare at the front of the section is wider gotcha so it's a bunch of drilling that you don't want to have to deal with i mean it's like yeah, extra so you're you're thinner in the front instead of the back yeah in a way would be if you had to pick between the two i would pick to be more thin in the front because at least then you're by the actual insert. I'm going to interpret what Jonathan was just saying, because there was some (laughs) interference in what he was saying there. You don't want the end of your section up by where the nib actually goes into it to be too thin because it'll break and crack. And if you would, the, the little shoulder that's around the top of the housing, you would want that to be smaller rather than larger. hundred percent. Yeah. On a, on a Yovo number six, it's what nine millimeters on the, on, on the money, I think. Um, the, that that very end lip, the, yeah, the, the the super thin one, the very end. I think I use a 
I want to say I use a 9.5 because I recess my nibs. Not everybody does that. I'm one of the few people that actually recesses them into the section. And I think I use, let me see. So the main body is 7.5. I use an 8 mil and drill down to where I would thread it typically. And then the first collar is right around 8.5 mil. The largest one is like 8.95. Yeah. Basically 9. And I think I use a nine, I use an eight, then I use an eight and a half for the first collar, and then I just touch it with a nine to recess it a little bit in there. But you don't want to need to bigger than that because you think about it. If you're making uh if you're using a 13 mil, an M13 thread on your cap, your section's gonna be 12, 10? 12 and a half tops at the thickest point. Oh, oh yeah, you're talking about the OD of the section itself. Yeah. yeah, the OD of the section might be 11 and a half. Well, then you're going to cut a 9 mil hole in there, which is going to leave you 0.75 mil on e- That's the wall thickness, and that's thin. Yeah. That's three quarters of a millimeter. That's that's like scary thin. That's <laughs> like I'm going to have to use acrylic instead thin um, because acrylic, you can use it when it's that thin. Alumalite. I don't trust it that thin. <laughs> Sorry. It's the Luminate has some give to it, some bend, some flex, but yeah. Yeah. See, I do my step drills are a little bit different. Well, I use the now that I'm on the CNC, it's all done with a boring bar, but it's I use the same measurements I did manually. So it's yeah, uh, I do a seven millimeter pilot hole, then a seven point eight millimeter drill bit that I got from uh Victor Machining. Yep. Then an eight point five, and then a nine millimeter. I put one of their kids through college by now. Uh, oh yeah, you and me both. Because um, I don't necessarily I recess that outer collar to create yeah. a seal. I don't drop it down into the section unless I'm yeah. unless I need to to compensate for a design change in the model. Because um, say if you want to do a, a small pocket pin. You have to have a shorter the, the, cap. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. So you can compensate by dropping the nib into the section, which means you don't have to drill your cap as deep. Yep. Therefore, your cap can be a little bit shorter. And overall, because I, I want to say I, I once made a pocket pin that was capped at three, three and a quarter inches Ooh, with, a number, with a number six nib. I'm trying to act like I like I can use standard <laughs> measurements in my head. But I get. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to drop the. You have to drop the nib deeper into the section. And that's one. Yeah. And so I made one not long ago that was kind of like that, but I made the extended tenon a little bit wider, you know, and then the threads on the end of it where I could, I think I used an M12 on the tenon instead of a M10 like I normally do on the section tenon. So I could drop the nib deeper in there and make the section a little bit shorter. And so, you know, you don't, like we said, you can't make the inner diameter larger than the outer <laughs> diameter. <laughs> no, um, you cannot. And that's one of the biggest things. But, you know, and I don't, and and I, okay, so to kind of put a finer point on my answer, <laughs> with the folks that already are aware of the maker community, you don't have to work very hard to to show them those because they already understand it. Yeah. With the crowd that is either staunchly commercial or just starting to get into it, we still need to demonstrate to them why they should buy a new one or why they should buy a maker pen to get to even look at. And then we have to talk with them about the materials that are available. 
Um, and then the conversation you can have with the maker of the pen to, you know, have that experience that you're not going to get with sailor or pilot or there's a story. Yeah. With, and that is a huge selling point for a lot right. of people. I guess I should actually, you know, roll back a second and, and answer the question. at end. Oh yeah. 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 Cause I kind of went on a half hour diatribe about everything else. But the answer. <laughs> um, so would you say yes or no to the answer to begin? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll say both. That I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Uh, while you were giving your description of uh, the other like manufacturer pins that have been around, uh, the words tried and true came to right. mind. You know, they've been around. People know they work. So we have to work a little bit harder ourselves to prove that our stuff will work just as well. Right. Um, shows are probably the best platform for being able to do that because you can have that interaction face to face and you get the crossover of the two worlds too. Yeah. It's tangible. They can pick it up. Now people like myself who just dumps the pens in the middle of the table, like it's a rummage sale. Oh my yeah, God. that's probably not representing, you know, that the larger maker community. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't represent, you know, hey, this is quality stuff because it's just kind of slung on the table. But thankfully, I've I've been able to finagle my way around that uh, pitfall. And but also, I have time felt. to put mine on displays. <laughs> you don't. I don't get bum rushed when the show opens like yeah, your table no, no. does. There's. I'm going to try it again this year. I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick with chaos system until I, st- I see a significant drop off or enough people stand there and just say, no, you've got to organize this crap. Right. Yours is out of necessity. It's not out of lethargy. You know, it's out of necessity. Yeah. I have displays. I just don't bother packing them anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> th- The one other point I wanted to make about it is, um, and and I'm not saying all of them because each of the companies that a lot of these commercial pins are just injection molded plastic. They're melted down beads and they put them in a mold and they inject the plastic in there. But each one of those companies usually has higher end stuff that does take more attention, right? That, that, yeah. Cause you have like pilot has the Arushi pins and things like that that take more attention to that and not, not knocking them. They came up with a process that works for them, man. If you if 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 I could injection mold stuff at home with the same ferocity and um, economical savings that these large co- corporations did, I probably would be too. I I, I have looked into it. <laughs> I have too. I, I I I was looking into home injection molding for a while. Yes, um, but it's just too expensive. It's more expensive than any other part of pin making could be, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, the, the, the last point I'll make with it is with small makers, again, you're talking, you're generally talking to the maker themselves whenever you're having a conversation with the, the, the seller of the pen. When, with you, when you have the main major manufacturers, you know, your Pelicans, your pilots, your sailors, et cetera, not once do you deal with, the actual manufacturer you're dealing with a distributor they're they're gonna have one one pin in that color on display 
And when you want that pen, they just reach under the table and grab the box yep. of 20 of 20 exact same pens and hand it to you. Yep. That's that's to me, that's your biggest difference between manufactured and small maker is you know, we don't have time to make that kind of inventory. <laughs> no, we don't. Oh my good. <laughs> even even the the makers that have CNC machines don't even have the ability and time to make that kind of inventory because it still takes a long time. And y'all, like we said, I think we said it in the last episode, <laughs> CNC isn't for speed. It's for repeatability. Um, yes. And, and consistency. Can... It ain't for speed. Yeah. We'll, this, we'll save the subject for another day, but let's just say <laughs> I spent, we could do a whole show. I, I spent 10 hours today programming the cap for uh, a, one of my models that's going to, that needed to be adjusted to have a clip. Let's just say I spent 10 hours and I gained absolutely nothing from it. So you lost time. I, I pulled an Edison. I learned 2000 ways how not to do it. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't landed on that, that magic number that's, yet. That's Thomas, not Edison Penco. That's yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I for, I totally forget about that. No, I just wanted to make the joke. That's all. I just wanted to go for the joke. So, so, so there you go, Sister T. There's our answers on that. Um, yes. yes and no. It depends on who you're talking to, for the most part. Yeah, it's subjective. Everything, yeah. as is as is pretty much all things in life, it's subjective. There you go. So that's question number one answered. What did you choose for your all first right. question tonight? So, well, it's not the one I chose for my first one, but since we've already touched on it i'll i'll oh, jump okay. to this one uh so this is from barrel and nib uh let's see do most makers tune their nibs as they sell them <laughs> and then there's a uh another question from i'm just gonna have to spell it out g-e-r-r-e-i-g-k-a yeah we like both tried to figure out it's not a sister situation here yeah. so uh <laughs> we both tried to figure out a way to pronounce it but we couldn't yeah. So their question is nibs are most often gold, steel, or titanium. What other materials have nibs been made from? And why don't we see more alternative nib materials? Um, first answer is I damn sure hope they are tuning their nibs because every nib needs some sort of alignment or touch before it right. goes out the door. Um, very rarely will a pen write ideally out of the box. Right. Now, th and the main reason why I say that is, again, touching back on the previous discussion, we're having to screw in these nib units that, that's, that the physical action of threading it in place adds a little torque and it will kind of can't the nib inside the, the housing. And so you physically have to readjust and realign the breather hole with the, uh, the slit on the feed. You have to line that up and just, you take your loop and you make sure the times didn't get high or low or baby's bottom and, you know, all those types of things. Then you just act, take whatever action is necessary from there. Uh, some makers will dip in ink and do a whole page of test writing. Um, I've, I've 
spoken with others that will dip in water instead that saves on cleanup and it still has that lubrication aspect on the notepad to where they can at least feel if it's scratchy or not because there is a difference between tuning and grinding or the type of tune and smooth that you would get from a professional uh right meister you know we can do the basics whereas the other the nidmeisters are going to go way more in depth so you know um i do <laughs> and th- here's my process when i when i send a pin out i'll grab a nib out of my box i make sure that the nib and feed are aligned um because sometimes the feed will be too high, like not inserted quite enough, or the nib has been inserted right, a little good. bit farther yeah. than the feed. Yeah, I look at the in. back. I look at the nipple on the back to make sure that you can see where the feed has been inserted into it correctly to make sure it's far enough down into the nipple on the back of the thing. Then I'll look at the tines. If the tines are one's a little bit higher, I'll adjust them. Then I just give a real quick. I do it on dry paper without without ink. But I feel to see if it's scratchy and I have a little I keep this right here on my desk where I where I put my pins together. It's one of those four sided. I think they sell them for fingernail. Oh, um, like a uh, like emery home, board. home fingernail care. They've got like four different four yeah. different scratchinesses on them, four different <laughs> um, grits of paper. And then I'll take that, and if it if it's a little scratchy, I'll I'll do my little adjustment there. But that's that's the that's pretty much what I do. I want it to be smooth on the paper. Yeah. Now I I'll I'll work on it a lot more, but I'm gonna charge the I'm gonna I'm gonna charge that to the customer because if I sit here for half an hour and work with it, that's gonna be kind of a my version of a tune and smooth. Um, yes. where I will make sure that I'll, I'll take the nib out of the housing and I'll reinsert it, make sure it's in there as well as I can get it. And then I'll make sure I'll dip it in ink and I'll use it. I'll write a whole page with it to make sure that it's writing, you know, but that's a, that's like a $25 upgrade to the pen typically for me. Yeah. I mean, that's time is money. And right. if, if you don't, if you can't find, uh, like the fingernail board, like, uh, Brad was mentioning, uh, if you have micro mesh. Right. Uh, start with, well, I shouldn't say what to start with because that's kind of dependent on whatever how, issue you're having. How bad it is. Yeah. But you can finish <laughs> on your 12,000 grit. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, I've, the one thing I always tell people, like, especially when they've come to, and Brad, you, you got this firsthand from me, actually. Uh, anybody who comes to my house to learn pin making, I beat into their heads that just because you can make a pin doesn't mean it's ready to be sold because it's got to be able to write. You have to understand how the pin writes. Functionality is important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, you know, going to sit in a box on a, on a desk. It's going to be used hopefully. So you need functionality. And then the second question on that was the materials that nibs are made from. Uh, the only other main metal that I have seen fountain pen nibs specifically made from is silver. Uh, Annabelle 
uh, over in the Netherlands uh, has so done. That's not string uh, strings and pedals. Yeah, strings and pedals. Yep. But she has a official nib business name. And yeah, me forgive me, up. Annabelle. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. <laughs> let me see. Um, I'm looking it up real quick. Thank you. Um, and she has uh, harmonic. I think is what the line of nibs were. The all handmade from silver with I'm engraving gonna, and I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to pronounce it. Opus Cineris. That sounds right. The harmonic nib series. Yeah, I harmonic. Is what Thank is you. the product itself? I think. Yes. And those are, like I said, handmade from silver. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, let me make a list of show notes and I'll put a link yeah. in there. Um, but as far as mainstream commercial nibs, uh, pretty much gold steel and titanium are going to be your major ones, mainly because the nibs have to retain their shape. Uh, copper is too soft, I would say. Um, and I can't really think of any other metal that. Yeah, I mean, like, if you were to go with, like, <laughs> aluminum, it would just bend out of shape and stay there. You know, something like that. Yeah. Um, the, the And I'm figuring there's been a lot of people that have tried to make nibs out of the stuff, and that's why we don't see them. They figured out that it doesn't work, and that's why we don't see nibs made <laughs> out of that stuff, right? I mean, there's a trial and error process at some point to find out which materials work best, I'm sure. Yeah, I would like to see uh, somebody with the machining capability see if they can make one out of carbon fiber. That would be kind of cool. Because if it's thin enough, it might be able to flex. Yeah, I, I but I would be concerned. Tip, like the tipping, would it be too narrow? When oh, would that? yeah. Because carbon fiber strength comes from those those inner, you know, like if you make it too thin yeah, and fibers. make it too narrow, would it be, would it be um, fragile at that point? Yeah, and you can't exactly weld tipping material onto it. Because you have to remember with even gold nibs, there's tipping material welded to the ends and right. then shaped and polished and cut and and everything like that. There aren't well, it has to be harder than the gold itself to be able to be shaped correctly and retain the shape, right? Exactly. So, you is know, it, I guess it, that would be another reason for it. <laughs> is it iridium typically is what the tipping material I think is made out of? Uh I'm gonna say yes, but I could be wrong. I know there's so many, you know kit pen fountain pen nibs that always say that whole iridium point germany yeah whether it's truly iridium i don't know it's definitely a very hard metal i've always wondered if it's just that but they just point it out to make themselves seem cooler like <laughs> everybody puts the same thing on there but they're gonna write on there that they do so they look cooler than anybody else yeah <laughs> i, I which, just kind of figure and that and that in itself became a flag of low quality yeah right <laughs> anybody who saw the, the a nib that said iridium point germany they just said oh that's cheap chinese nib stay away yeah i just didn't like them because they had a bunch of writing on them yeah i mean if i want to nib with a bunch of writing i'll buy a mont blanc or a sailor or something you know i mean yeah i like, I mean, I like those the, are <laughs> sailors nibs are just they're nice <laughs> that i mean you can't talk crap about their nibs, man. I mean, pilot nibs are amazing. Yeah. Very unadorned. 
Yeah. I mean, just um, for the most, for the majority. Of I it. ended up, I think I got a sailor somewhere from virtual pen show or something at one point, And it had one that had actually been worked on at the factory, it had the card in there and said, who actually did like oh, some nice. extra work on it. And that thing wrote like, I, I don't know, like if you wanted to, like if you reached into a dictionary and pulled out a fountain pen out of the dictionary and wrote with it, you know what I mean? Just the yeah. quintessential, just like, oh, wow, you know? Yes. But aren't there are, and, and I know this is kind of touching on the last question, there are several makers that send all their nibs to someone to have them all tuned before yeah, know, they use them. I know Renee uh, does. Yeah, right? she uses Mark Bacchus. Um, I think Kirk, does he tune all of his nibs before he sells them? I want to say on, on his commercial retail sales on loose nibs for makers. I think it's a additional service, which is Uh, great. I mean, that's still cool. Even if you have to pay for it. I know Gina, um, she's worked with, I believe Ian shown in the past, if not still currently right on with nibs and there have, there's been several others. Um, somewhat, I don't want to quite call it a collaboration, but nib, nib grinders have been hired out, hired out by customer, by not customers, by manufacturers to work on nibs prior to going into onto the retail yeah. market. They're all going to need a slight bit of work before they're used because they're not going to be perfect coming out of the factory. So, yeah. And your distributors, 99% of the time, are not taking out a loop and looking at the nib before they put yeah. it in a, in, a, in a bubble mailer. Um, certain ones uh, like Dan Smith and Kirk, you know, people who have that nib grinding background that are also in retail sales. Yes. Um, I don't want to name names just because I don't want to shed a negative light on anybody, but you're for the most part, any of your other major distributors are not going to right. be doing that level of checkover. Well, I mean, and, and at some point, if you're at the distributor level, if you're selling thousands of nids, you can't be expected to tune them. You can't be inspe- expected to inspect every one of them. If you're selling that Uh, many of them, that's just kind of, it's an unrealistic expectation. I believe in my opinion, to think that they would make sure that everyone is perfect going out the door. When you've learned how to make a pen, learn how to learn how to make sure a nib writes too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, uh, 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 I just thought of another one, uh, Applebaum and Annabelle. We were just thinking about right. He tunes. Because I don't know exactly how the, how do things work? I don't know if it's every pen that Applebaum sells or if people who purchase a pen uh, can option in to having the nib work yeah. in by Annabelle. I do know she she goes in to the office there either uh, a couple days a week, I believe, and just tunes nibs all day long. <laughs> I know um, Franklin Kristoff has. Oh, yeah. You know, um I know, and I'm just like, don't let you suffer. Audrey. uh, Audrey, yeah. Because we see her at the shows (laughs) all the time, tuning nibs. 
thank you for letting me just hang out <laughs> no. there by myself for a second. <laughs> I could see it. Like I could literally see the word written down and couldn't, couldn't pronounce it in my head. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I'm finished with that question. I'm not going to comment anymore on that one. <laughs> Embarrass myself here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So there's your, there's your nib. That that nib question answered. There's a few more on our list for later in in more episodes. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Uh, let's see. I think uh, yeah, you're up next. I'm gonna go with what's the best way to learn to turn a pin? That's from Dragon Drawer Forty Two. Sorry, Dragon Drawer Forty Two. And I'll give you. Here's my opinion. First, if you can. <laughs> If you can enlist the assistance of somebody who already knows what they're doing, but then the only real way to learn how to do it is to kind of get that nudge and then do it yourself. You, you, you've yeah. having a mentor or, you know, somebody that you work with, like I, everybody knows I went up to Jonathan's place for a couple of days and made a pen. And then I came back. And he got a text. I'm sure it was like, what, three or four days later, got a text from me. So I said, can you tell me everything that you told me at your house again? He put it on repeat. <laughs> right. Because you're still, I mean, I even made note. Bill was like, what did I do here? What do we do? Here? So, yeah. What does um, this note mean? <laughs> I, I kind of look at it like a lot of different jobs where you have to, you, you go in for some training, but then there's a whole lot of OTJ, man. There's a whole lot of on the job, working it out for yourself. Yes. Um, I will not say that there, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going and, and reaching out to a maker that's already established and saying, Hey, can you help me learn this? I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> and, and I've told this story several times after I left Atlanta and I started thinking, Oh man, I might be able to do this. I want to look into that. I messaged some weirdo messages, Jonathan out of nowhere. <laughs> and then, yeah, come on up to the house. And I was like, Really? No, you know, and I'm like, is this a scam now? Did I, did I, did I, did I initiate a scam on myself somehow? Um, right. But you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of makers out there that are more than willing to show somebody kind of the basics of what they're doing. But if you want to be a successful maker and you want to have a shop, there's going to be a lot of learning on your own after that point. Yeah. Yeah, a you can lot. only be <laughs> you can only be shown so much. You have to get hands on. You have to get you have to screw up. You know, as far as oh, I turned too much off my tin, and now my my die won't cut a, a thread deep enough. That kind yep. of mess up. Safety wise, do as much research as you possibly can. Ask hundred percent. Ask every question of every maker you can think of. To make sure you're doing something safely. That's 100%. first and foremost. Um, but as far as, oops, I turned too much off of the, t- like I said, too much off the tenon, or I didn't use, you know, I didn't drill deep enough for my converter to fit all the way in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You could be making pins for 15 years like some of us and yep. still make that mistake. <laughs> that's, a, that's, you know, that, and that's one of my things. Every time I make a section, I put the, and y'all seen me do it on lives before I power thread the nib into this. I leave it in the lathe and power thread the nib in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll take it out. I'll put, I'll put the converter in and then I twist the nib. I loosen it to see if the converter turns with it. And that's okay. how I know I've got a good seal 
on the converter. And if I can see like the, you know, the threaded, I, I keep my shop converter all the way extended where I can see the threaded mm -hmm. rod in there. And I look to see if it turns with the nib. Okay. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't turn with the nib, I'm like, you, how many of these have you made? You idiot. Why didn't you do this? Right. <laughs> you know, but, and, and I, <laughs> I don't really power thread the nib all the way in y'all. If you watch, I power thread it very slowly up into the, the, the point I feel the tension on. And then I let go of it. And then I finish it by hand <laughs> afterward, but it's just like, you know, I went up to Jonathan's place and I remember we were talking. He said, like, let's go out to the shop. And I said, oh, yeah, cool. And he goes, we're going to make a pen. And I was like, oh, I get to watch. And then you're like, here you go. Do this. And I was like, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. When you come to my place, I'll I'll usually do it first or do a portion. And then you get the keys to the car. Here you go. Yep. And you're not ready for it. <laughs> I don't give a crap. You're not ready for it. Um. <laughs> But, and you know, and that, that's one good thing. If it, if it hadn't been for the kind of a little bit of the instruction that I got, I wouldn't have wanted to continue because that gave me enough of a jump start where I didn't have to go home and start from ground zero and just stare at stuff and not know where to begin. It, it, it doesn't, how do I put this into words? You're not just learning it. Like say when you come here and you take a lesson with me or whatever, you're not l just learning how to make a pen. I'm basically trying to instill that drive. Right. To where you want to get home and you want to do it. Because oh, like you it, said, otherwise you're just going to sit there and stare at the machines like, what does this yeah. button do? I was so and, mad because I got back and I didn't have all the stuff I needed. I had to wait on this or that. And I'm I remember. In sitting in the house and I'm going, <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to go tear up some plastic. Come on. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad. Um, and yeah, and even though, and I, and I would, I, I hope Jonathan would agree with this, even though, you know, I've been making for almost five years now, you've been making a good bit longer than that. What? Uh, 14, 15 years. Something. Yeah. Uh, 2008. You still learn to this day. You're still learning new things and you're still figuring some things out here and there, even oh, though, gosh. yeah, you're all, never going to know time. everything that you need to know. Yeah. No, I never will assume that I know everything. If you learn everything you need to know about pen making, stop making pins in my opinion, because <laughs> there's no more fun to it at that point. In True. my opinion, if you learn everything you ever need to know, that's what, that's the day you need to stop making pins. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> there it is, the truth bomb. <laughs> but yeah, um, reach out to somebody. And and most of us, okay, yeah. What do you want to know? I, hey, I've had people travel from states away, not just, you know, South Carolina to Georgia. I've had, right. you know, I've had people as close as 20 minutes down the road talking to you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I've had people, uh, I think, I've had a buddy come down from Maine. Let's see. Yeah, that's a little bit of a haul. Yeah. Oh, I've had people fly in before for for lessons. And I'm happy if to I, do it. If I would have had to have flown, I probably wouldn't be making pins right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a legitimate thing. I'm I'm always happy to help people out. You know, scheduling wise, if we can make something work. Right. Send me an email and we'll uh, 
we'll see what we can do. I don't, uh, I don't proclaim to be the best teacher, but I do have enough lathes to where we can get something done. I mean, I'd give you like a six out of 10, you yeah. know, I mean, come on now, dude, I, whatever. I think I'd, I would probably be a six and a half, but not everybody can use my turning tool. No, that <laughs> it made using the one I bought way easier. I'll tell you that because <laughs> your turning tool is specifically tailored to what you do. Yeah. So it's the equivalent <laughs> of teaching somebody how to drive a stick shift. Freaking freaking Mary Shelley wrote a book about your turning tool <laughs> for those literary fans out yeah, there. It, it truly is a Frankenstein. Um, and I just had another thought. What was it? Oh, even if you've learned from someone else, you still want to develop your own style and you still want to develop your own stuff. So you're going to have to work on your own because you don't want to just do the same things that the dude or. Oh, did. yeah. No, no, no. We just go over basics, you know. Threading, cutting, turning. Well, well, there's things that Jonathan taught me that should be done. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that just because I don't want to do that. Right. And so uh, you're going to develop your own style. You're going to develop your own process. And I think that's one of the biggest things to pen makers is developing a process that works for you. Um, yeah. A, a system of things. You do this, then this, and this. We don't all make them the same way. Some people... Some people will put the brand new uh, piece of material in the lathe and start making parts. Some of us take a half millimeter or millimeter off of the entire rod before we even chuck it up to, you know, to cut on it. Some people use a bandsaw to cut the pieces. I use a hacksaw and just literally hack away at it to cut my rods into pieces. Um, You know, it just. I'm scared to say how I part off metal on my metal lathe. I don't want to know because I've worked on that lathe before. Okay, I definitely will say it then. What do you spin it with a hacksaw going? <laughs> no. Is it so much worse? Yes. Oh God, here we go. Uh, because I have not learned the art of the parting tool on the metal lathe. The one I have is I'll have to just, teach you next time I come. It, it's just not I've had a grab and skip and scare scary stuff happens. Uh yeah, me too. And I don't like and the hacksaw takes too long, so I get a sawzall. Oh my god! Well, you know, well, it's chucked in the lathe. But necessity, not on. necessity is the mother of invention. I yeah. would just be worried that I would skip through it and cut into the ways at the bottom of it, which my <laughs> lathe has nicks in the ways below it where the hacksaw, where I'll be sawing, and it goes through and just yeah. banks to it. But yeah, I don't the, need the, to use that part of the ways the, anyway. The carriage doesn't go up that far. No, it doesn't. It never. It, the tool will get too close Doesn't to the matter truck if you do that. But here, here we go. Here's some secrets for there, there wasn't a question about parting metal. And I learned this from um, Blondie hacks. It's a, a YouTube channel that I watch a lot of slow speeds as close to the, and get that, get your, get your parting tool as close to the Chuck as you possibly can mm-hmm. and lubricate it. That's what yeah. I've learned. So I have started. And plus I've got one of those. When I bought my lathe from Carl, he, he bought some high dollar parting tool. It's like this micro thin. It's not the the normal, you know, that that thin sheet of metal with the angle. Yeah, it's not a straight bar. It's like a replaceable, an interchangeable tool. And I tell you, it cuts like a dream unless I'm cutting nickel silver, and I will never. I cannot stand. Oh, does it get? Does it get gummy? No, it it it, it just creates so much heat. Oh, and okay. I think it's just the metal. It's not the tool. Just I've got a scar from the nickel silver where I was cutting some rings, <laughs> I cut and I decided one day 
I went up to the shop. I wasn't planning on doing anything. And I was like, you know what? I need to make some rings. So I took a, I took about a six inch piece of brass and cut it, drilled it out. And I made a bunch of rings. And then I took about a two or three inch piece of nickel silver and just cut a bunch of rings. And, you know, I did what I do. I, I use a Sharpie and I'll mark the end of it. And that's the thickness, you know, the thickness of the mark yeah. is where I try to get the parting tool. It, it never comes out the same thickness because I'm just an inconsistent weirdo, but <laughs> so I just cut like 40 of them and then I mic them and I find the ones that are closest, you know, like <laughs> if I have one that's 1.1 millimeter and 1.15 millimeter, those go together. We're going to use those on a pin because they're the closest, you know, sometimes yeah. you have to do it that way. But there's, there's one of your secrets for parting. <laughs> it is not, all, it is not always sweet sorrow. Sometimes it's just sorrow when you part. Yes. All right. So this, that's a good lead up to. Uh, the next question I had picked out unintentional as well. Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is from Dave Wolaski. Wonder if he's related to Mike Wolaski from. <laughs> is uh, he just one giant eyeball? Or yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he asks, which is the hardest to work with: exotic woods, acrylic resin, or brass? And I'm going to give the most a specific answer that I can and to say all three. I would say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, they Each one has their own pros and cons. Uh, exotic woods, uh, they're, you know, of the three, it's, they're the more rare, rare item. You mess it up, it's going to be harder and more expensive to get a replacement. Oh, yes. And wood is an organic material, so it's going to be affected by the elements. Water, humidity, moisture, evaporation being the main ones. So that means you need to do something to stabilize the wood, whether it is using something like cactus juice to where you vacuum uh, vacuum out the air, replace it with uh, the stabilizing resin and cure it, and then it's solid. From that point, or you can do uh, kind of like what I mentioned, I think it was the previous episode where you do a CA uh, stabilizing, which is mostly just on the surface. Um, either way, you need to work, you need to get the wood to where it's hard enough to be turnable at a very uh, consistent level because when you're drilling it, when you're turning it, um, you don't want to have, say, hardwood, and then all of a sudden you find a soft spot, and then your tool digs in or yep. tears out or jump, you know, bl- explodes is the you know the most common thing that happens um, with wood. You also need to sleeve the the wood internally. That's whether it's your cap or your body, because ink is water based, and you don't want any leaks, et cetera, to a stain the wood and be be absorbed by the wood and expand and contract and crack. Then it would get through it and get on your hands if it made it all the way through too, right? It would just be a it could, yeah. A stain stick at that point. <laughs> yeah. The opposite um, of a stain stick, if you will. Yeah. So with the the creation of the internal sleeves alone is difficult enough. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's something I would 
you know, have I done it on a wood lathe? Yes. Do I hate doing it on a wood lathe? Yes. I would much rather do it on a metal lathe because you can taper or step down the way it's turned and you can line up your, your drill depths with the internal bore of the wood a lot easier. Yeah. To where you basically just glue the two parts together and then you can mount it and thread it or turn it on the lathe, et cetera. Um, so that's wood for me. Uh, acrylics are very easy. That's probably the easiest of the three, but even within itself, it has some drawbacks. Yep. Uh, especially if we're talking clear. Oh acrylic. my God. Exactly. Uh, yeah. When we mentioned this pre-show, you started talking about like the, the Omos resins and stuff, celluloids and acrylics. And I'm like, no, no, I'll talk about clear acrylic. Clear. Oh my God, dude. One of the oh. coolest pens I think I ever made. I can't even sell. I I don't. Yeah. I think I I think it's in a box somewhere. I mean, yeah. it was a gorgeous pen. Because clear acrylic has a tendency to craze. Yeah, and we're not talking will, about dryberries. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it will. It'll be crisp. And you know, obviously, you have to polish the in, the internal yeah. uh, bore to become crystal clear, but something during the process, whether it is a, if you use the wrong chemical, I believe a denatured alcohol or acetone will immediately make it craze. Yep. Um, it, I've had a pen that I did all the internal polishing on. I left it alone and it sat for about five days, came back to it and it had all these little micro cracks. That's what happened with mine. Entire it thing sat there for a week. A week later, it was perfect until that sixth or seventh day, and it just. Yep. So, what causes it exactly? I couldn't tell you. If we um, knew, we could stop it. I think. Yeah, it could just be you know stresses from the the turning itself, the heat generated. It could be a number of different thing, different things, um, but that's a material that can be done on any type of lathe. Uh, whether it's hand tools uh, or a metal lathe wood can be done on either one brass on the other hand. Yep. I will. Yes, you can turn it with carbide tools. And I, I would say some high speed steel, but I would stick with carbides on a wood lathe, but it is going to chatter. Oh it is God. going to be. A, You're going to hate life, too. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, test of your patience. <laughs> yes. Because it's going to take forever to turn down. It's going to take forever. And if you're going to use brass, find rods that are within about a half a millimeter of your finest, your final diameter. So you don't exactly. have to turn it down. For I bought a three-quarter yeah. inch piece <laughs> of nickel silver. Three-quarter inch piece. Oh, my I have gosh. To turn, I have to turn like a quarter of an inch off of it to make a ring that'll work. Yeah. And that takes like two hours to do. <laughs> yeah. Metal aid, it's, it's much faster work, but until you're comfortable with like your compound slide and creating, t cutting tapers, right. You're somewhat limited design wise, what you can do. And unless you work in a machine shop that has giant lathes that can take huge, deep cuts on that stuff. 
yeah, it's going to take forever to turn it down. Uh, or you're going to have to get it at a time or get a file. That's what True. a lot of people will do is, you know, just hack at it with a file and that oh, the, alone will take the forever. sound that that makes too. Oh, oh. That's what, yeah. Yep. 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 And cutting brass with a tap and die. It's not fun. No, it's not. not I fun. made, I made the first brass thing I think I ever made was that it was a blue lapis pen and it had a brass cap to body threads and a little part of it at the end of it. And, uh, or maybe it was a dart or it was one of the Conway materials, but it was just, I, I kept saying to myself, I got too far into it before I figured out it was a stupid idea for me to do. <laughs> not saying that it's a bad idea to put that on a pen y'all that's not, but it was just dumb for me at the time. And I was, and I decided I was like, I'm not tearing up my triple start die on this. So I made it, you know, I just made it a single start, whatever yeah. it was, which worked fine. But oh my God, it literally took me like a day just to make that 15 millimeter long piece to put on the pin. And I said, you know, never again, or I'm going to have to charge 10 times more for the pin. <laughs> oh, just, I've got to remake a mandrel. And I'm so not looking forward to it. <laughs> because to remake a mandrel, you, you automatically like, okay, so. When I make a mandrel, the part that gets chucked up, I make it between 15 and a half and 16 mil because I like that one collet. It's like the that one. Yeah, 16 is usually my use. go-to. So I think I go like 15.75 or so, but then you have to turn the rest of it down to like eight, <laughs> eight millimeters. And that just, you're like, well, clear your schedule until Saturday because we're going to be here for a minute. Yeah, because my the internals for the body of the pen that I make is... Uh, the smallest diameter is 8.3 or 21 yeah. 64th drill bit. And that's just, just big enough for the, the converter to slip through without any type of uh, catch. So yeah, if say, say you start with a piece of 16 mil brass, oh my God. You're, you're taking half of that off. And that doesn't eight millimeters doesn't sound like anything to most people. It is a lot when it comes to turning on, turning But when you're taking it off, off like a quarter or an eighth or a tenth of a millimeter at a time, <laughs> because your lathe just won't do any more than that without tearing up. Yeah. It'll, it'll, you, uh, you know, I have a fairly nice metal lathe. Oh yeah. Agreed. It, it can, it can bog down if you, if you try to take too heavy of a cut. Oh my God. Yours is pretty heavy duty too. I mean, yours is old school. It's made right. And it'll still bog down. Yeah, it, it, like I know I've said this a thousand times. It definitely needs an, uh, a Brad touch or three. Yeah, I'll have <laughs> to get up there at some point. I'm trying to make plans, trying to make plans. But, you know, I haven't worked with wood. I've been avoiding it specifically because. I've made a handful. Personally, I think there are people out there that could do it better than I would. Oh, Krusak. Brian Krusak. Um, Casey Giddens down in Australia. Yes. His, if you haven't checked out pins by Casey and Ryan Krusak, you want to talk about some beautiful wood pins. Um, yes. You know, uh, Ryan's been in the game a long time. I've got two of my favorite pins are his, I've got one is L 14s and his L 15s in, in Ebony. I need an L 16 to complete the set, but they're just so well-made. Yes, the attention to detail and the and six the six or seven Krusak pens. 
And then we've got, oh, I forgot, we've got the one that we bought in Atlanta that's got the ocean jasper, the actual stone yep. body. Uh, you know, and Ryan has absolutely mastered the sleeving process and making it look like he didn't do it at all. Yeah. When you when you uncap that pin, I literally, I mean, looking at the threads, you can tell they're not wood. But yeah, to look at it and look for like how like where that piece is inserted into the wood and how it was done. He does such a great job with it. And, you know, and he has the wood grain line up every single time. And which, you know, sleeving is, it helps for that. Yeah, it does. Um, but then you've got, you've got Casey Giddens down there. I don't know how long Casey's been on the, on the scene, but it's not very long. I don't think, um, some of the some of the exotic woods he's mixing with acrylics and things like that and with resins and stuff um check him out too but see i think they do it better than i would be able to agreed so so i don't know if i'm i'm i mean i might try it at some i've got a whole we've got a place over here in concord georgia called the woodyard and it's a small family yeah. run i mean they've got some really cool exotic stuff but they they have pin blanks pre-cut kind of like you can get from the big box stores but they make them they make some of them themselves and uh i they had some bargain bin stuff and i bought i mean i probably got 40 or 50 of them <laughs> but i don't know if i want to mess with them i might at some point i don't know if yeah that that brown ebonite junk that we got that shipment of bad ebonite that you and i got from wherever oh, it'd be perfect for sleeping i might just i might just do it just to get rid of that ebonite i might yeah. go through the process of learning how to make a wooden pin just to use that ebonite and not waste my money on it <laughs> that's not a bad idea to be perfectly honest is necessity is the mother of invention man <laughs> right because i know before i did a lot of before i got like heavy into the pin show so this is like 2012 2013 14 i started getting into wood stabilizing yeah and i've got a vacuum chamber and i don't have any of the dyes and resin anymore just because i haven't had a need for it in forever but that was always something fun i was experimenting with and i i was trying to make the smallest i challenged myself to try to make the smallest diameter wood pin that i could with the number six nib Woof. And I can't tell you how many times that blew up in my face. Literally, <laughs> buy a buy a slimline pin kit and just thread the end of the brass sleeve to accept the nib. And <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this is like full on like ebonite sleeves, right. the whole nine. Um, my problem was, I would it would be fine up until I'm cutting it. Like I'm, this is on on the wood lathe. I'm doing the taper. And I would just get too thin where the wall thickness of the in internal sleeve is the greatest. Yeah. And I, I would go through the wood and expose the ebonite underneath and like, in just a little patch. Gotcha. And it'd just be like, uh, oops. Now you have to do that. Well, you could just throw it on the wood lathe and turn the wood off of it. Right. And reuse the sleeve. Couldn't you? Yeah. That's yeah, the that's one benefit to having yeah. a wood. One of the benefits to having a wood lathe. If you screw something up, that's been sleeved or something like that. You've got the adjustment, you know, the adjustability to be able to turn that stuff off of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh right, man. I, I don't we're... I don't know about the wood, but I, I do acrylics are the process is a little bit more difficult. They're rough on tools. They smell horrible. 
I would rather smell ebonite than acrylic smell. Um, yeah. The, the one thing that one of the things that really bugs me about them is like, even like 320 grit sandpaper is still difficult to use, like to round edges and to soften edges on them. You have to use a file a lot of times and then go back in and sand them. And to that end, like I put that bevel on my shoulders of the shoulder of my pins. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll get all the way through the finishing process. And you look at them and you can see, you know how the, the, the finials will do when you cut them, when you face them, they'll get that pitting on them. Yeah. You'll see on that shoulder, it's just pitted up or used to be able to see it on the normal shoulder, the square shoulders. You'd look yeah. down in there and you see all those pits and then you're like, how am I going to get down in there? How am I going to do this? <laughs> so, and, and that, that I don't, but one of the things I love about the acrylic is that the polish you, there's not many things out there that will polish as well as the acrylic will. Um, yes. We talked a little bit about this before the show that even with a lot of alumalite materials, you can spend two days polishing it. You're still going to get those tiny micro, but you're not going to be able to see them with the naked eye. You actually have to look under magnification to be able to see them. And that's a well-polished pen. If you have to use a loop to see anything wrong with it, I think that's a well-polished pen. Yes. Um, but with the acrylics, I made one a while back and I I looked for scratches. I couldn't find them. You know, because for some reason, I think it's, it's that harder finish that yeah. helps with that. Um, but other than that, and there's some things they can do with the patterns in the acrylics that you can't do with other stuff, but aluminum yeah, is just so forgiving. Yeah. With the poured resins. Yeah. Poured resins. You're, you're basically limited to embedded objects and colors with the acrylics you have those ribbons that you can put in there and things like that. Mm -hmm. Or you can do a stack yep. because it's all, they're not poured together, so to speak. It's more, they get fused together. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they're just the entire way they're made. It's different. And, and it, it allows for so many different variables. Yeah. You look at stuff like the, uh, the Omos, the Magica La Bologna, or the De Bologna La Bologna, whatever it is, <laughs> or Bologna La Magica, whichever it is. I see it written on different websites, different ways, but that purple with that white streak with the gray in there, you yeah. can go in there and lay that in there with those ribbons, and you can get a really, you know, it, that that's extremely, and I, I know you're clear on this, that's extremely hard to replicate in liquid form. Yeah, because the the resins don't want to stick to each other, right? Because you'd have to pour the resin, I'm sorry, the the ribbon and resin first, and it like create a mold for just mm -hmm. the ribbon, pop it loose, and put it into a separate mold or a secondary mold, and then pour resin all around it, encompassing it and embedding it, and it that's great, but Alumalite doesn't like to stick to itself as much once it's cured. Like you can't, you can't take a cured piece of res of alumalite, pour something on top of it, and expect it to have a chemical bond. Right. It just doesn't work that way. They're not. They're not fused like other materials would be in that situation. No, it's like a mechanical. Like you're gluing it together with CA glue. Yeah. And if you put too much uh, shearing force on it, they'll pop apart. Right. I'm and sure I'm you've. Oh, I've experimented with this for <laughs> a decade or more. I, yeah. I am very well versed in how far you can push it. 
Uh, epoxies are better because epoxies will stick to one another, or you can cast the the ribbon and alumilite and then pour epoxy over that alumilite ribbon, and those will stick together perfectly. Problem is, the there's not a commercial epoxy that gets as hard as acrylics and alumilite to where right. it um, is viable for pen use. Yeah, and and that's one of the problems if you have two different substances, one is harder, softer. I, you learn that from putting metal rings in pens. Yeah, you get that undulation and you can, it takes forever to get to get them as flat as you can possibly get. So, yeah. So there's my opinion as well. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of whose turn it is it around? Yeah. I mean, speaking of wood pins, and this is a good segue into my next question, talking about the amount of work that goes into those wood pins, having to stabilize them and then having to sleeve them and then having to turn them and having to seal them and polish them, all that other stuff <laughs> from basil and buns wood shop. How do you price your pins? So I'll tell you how I price uh, mine. I stole my prices from ultimate. other people. Do what? <laughs> I said, ah, yes, the ultimate question. What I did is when I first started deciding how much I wanted to sell my pins for, I think I looked at about five or six different makers' websites, and I kind of got a good average price from them. And that price that I first settled on, I think was either it was around it was either one seventy five or one hundred eighty five dollars. That was that was kind of the median then yeah um and now four or five years later you have to you have to uh, accommodate for materials being more expensive for other things going up in price and all of that stuff but still you know that's where i stayed as far as things like um options like additional things i literally i, I told jonathan this early i went to his website and i was like oh you charge Fifty dollars to add a clip. I'm going to charge fifty dollars to add a clip because that, <laughs> if somebody already said it better than you, why try to reinvent it? You know, um, why try to say it better? In my opinion, time is money is the best way to think of it. And yeah. you know, you always want to do the most for your customers, but not at your own detriment. As far as yep. the length of time something will take. Now, adding a clip to a pen does not add a total. You know, I shouldn't say a total, a huge amount of time, but depending on the material, you know, whatever, however much you're starting with, you might need more than, yeah, you normally would. You might need yeah, an extra the, half inch or more. Yeah, if the cap body section, all of it is the same material, you need two sticks, unless you're trimming them incredibly short to be turning them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just depends. It it all depends on the maker, right? Uh, like when I so, so when I make materials for manufacturers like Leonardo and such, they equate one and a half rods for each pen. Yep, because they're putting rings on them too, and that that's an extra tenon that's going to add length to what you need. Yeah, and then you know other factors and stuff in in work holding and things like that. Yep. So. You know, you have to accommodate. Well, you have to adjust for that in your pricing. True. Because uh, materials, depending on what it is, can be very expensive or middle of the road. Um, ink windows. Uh, You're going to have to pay for the clip as well. Yeah. The clips, uh, most clips are going to run you five bucks, give or take. 
Yeah. Um, and that, that that's kind of accounting for the shipping. And, yeah, then you ship them from the UK. and Yeah, because most of them come from Beaufort Inc. over in the UK, and they're, what, two and a half pounds, which is right. a little over three bucks. Then you, you know, equal out the shipping for the entire amount. And Well, the thing with, you, I had a customer uh, ask me, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was, you, you I, broke up on me there. Sorry, I just wanted to finish the thought before it escaped me. You know, yes, your cost is around $5. You have to remember you are a business. Businesses have to make a profit. Right. So you, that's why it's, say, $15 to add a clip and not just $5 to add a clip. <laughs> Don't say that. I charge 50 to add a clip. Well, I'm just saying. You know. <laughs> and, you know. And and this is why I'll tell you exactly why I charge $50 to add a clip to a pen. I'm going to need more material. I've got to buy the clip. And then I don't know if anybody else does this or not. When I cut you, you, you have to add extra work to the, to making the cap, right? You have to cut the recess for it. You have to cut the little notch in for the clip to go. And then when I put the clip on there, I put the cap together and I tune all of my caps with clips to where it doesn't have play in the clip side to side. It doesn't, they don't wiggle very much at all. I go in there and I'll put it back on the, and and here's where the, here's where the price comes from because I put it back in my wood lathe and I just shave a micro tiny bit off of it and I refit it. I wiggle it. I put it back in the wood lathe. I shave a tiny bit off of it. I refit it. I wiggle it. And that sometimes I've taken half an hour to do that. Now yeah. a mechanic a mechanic is going to charge you 50 bucks labor for a half hour of work no matter what he's doing. <laughs> you know, and that's just for the labor without the cost of the of the of the of the clip and the extra bit of material and all that stuff. So, just a little bit of a kind of a window into what we do and why we charge what we charge. Oh, um, easily. How many times have you had that question? Well, you know, uh how can you charge this much money for for this? Well, there's time, there's care, there's attention to detail, there's craftsmanship put into that. Not, and not you just bought a $400 extra. injection molded pen, buddy, and you're buying a $185 handmade pen over here. You know what I mean? Not to talk crap about the commercial <laughs> side, but just saying. Well, you also have to count for your expertise and your knowledge in how to do it. Oh, then mine should be cheap. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know. You just because you know how to do it's it's the the old adage with mechanics like or I think it was mechanics just because you can get the job done in an hour doesn't mean you can you should charge the same cost as the apprentice that I can't right, remember how it right. goes you, you know you know what yeah. I'm trying to say you I know, can't I don't remember exactly how how to word it well <laughs> you got to. Just because you can do it faster and better doesn't mean you should do it cheaply. Don't discount your craftsmanship. Yeah, there you go. That's a bet. That's a nicer way to put it. Right. Don't. <laughs> and I'm trying to debate on whether I should say this out loud or not. It's a thought that popped into my head. I can head. tell you're you're battling an intrusive thought right now. <laughs> and don't sell pins for seventy five bucks when the rest of the community sells them for one hundred and fifty. I'll say that and I'm going to move on anyway. Um, yeah, it's not a race to the bottom of the market. Do sell your product 
sell your product for what it is worth, folks. Like, um, if we were all charging too much money for our pins, nobody would buy them. Correct. It is an artisan item. How much of you, how much, how many of y'all buy handmade soap for more than a couple of bucks a bar when you could go to Walmart and buy a cheap bar of Irish Spring for two, three dollars, right? That's an artisan product that has time and effort and design and dedication and blood, sweat, and tears put into it. (laughs) Farm to to table restaurants are more expensive, y'all. You know, I mean, it's, 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 and I know we're the makers. We're saying that we're trying to, you know, we're not trying to justify <laughs> our, our existence, but hey, I am farm to table, right? You are. <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> Mine's are minor Jonathan's farm to my table. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's not that we're trying to justify our existence by that, but just to explain, like, how do we price them? Cause this, the original question was just, how do you price them? I, I looked at other people's and found out where the market kind of fell and that made sense. And then when I started making, in my opinion, like higher quality pins that had like more expensive materials, more exotic materials, harder to find things. I was like, you know what? I've been in the business long enough now to where I can say this material, I need to charge $50 more for this material. I can charge $30 more for this, you know, adding brass rings. Well, I have to buy the brass. I have to drill it out. I have to cut it. I have to slice it. I, you know, all this other stuff. So I can charge, I don't know what I charge to add rings, 30 bucks, 30 bucks. I think is cheap for adding rings to a pen because of all the effort that goes into making them. Right. So yeah, and everything we mentioned earlier with taking skim passes. So you don't get that undulation in the material. And yeah. that, that means that the, that pen itself was going to be on your lathe longer than a standard pen. You're paying for love. That's what you're paying for. Love and attention. You're paying for love. I mean, that sound. No, I can't say cause that sounds paying for love sounds really bad, like something that would be illegal, especially um, in that deep voice. You just gave it. <laughs> Maybe I should say it like this. Um, no, that's where I were. <laughs> um, you, you, and, and by that, what I meant, you're paying that that maker puts a part of themselves into everything they do. They they you know, a part of their mentality, a part of their ability, a part of their artistry. And that's what you're going to end up paying for on top of the labor and the materials, the materials, even the materials get more like Jonathan has to pay more for the resin that he uses to make the blanks. He has to pay more for the, for the pigments and the dyes to make the blanks, which makes the maker have to pay a little bit more for the blank, right? Which Mm -hmm. cuts into the profit that the maker is making a little bit more and some of us haven't raised prices really some have you know and it it all depends on you know whatever it's it's the maker's choice as to what to charge you for your pen just don't charge $75 when everybody else is charging 150 <laughs> that's all i ask yeah i mean consider your overhead and costs and things like that and like and like i mentioned before it, it, this is a business Yes, we love having that personal connection with customers and et cetera and things like that. But you're still a business that has to maintain a profit to be sustainable long term. Yeah, the IRS will so, only give you like two years to take a loss. Yeah. So <laughs> build build in profit to your pricing, I guess is where is where I'm going right. with it. So if you uh I've got at least one more I'd love to get into before we uh we wrap up for the night. I think the one I had another one written down, but I will save this one for the next one. Um, 
that one will be great. Okay. Uh, if if it's the one I'm thinking and I have it, it, it is. Okay, good. Go for it. <laughs> so this is from our dear friend Meg at Black Robin Pins. Hey Meg. And yeah. Stay in your lane, Meg. I see that you're casting blanks, by the way. There you go. Stay in your lane. <laughs> it's stay in the left lane. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. The the blanks you're making look great. Yeah. <laughs> cool stuff. Yeah, I really I actually I, I want to get some. So Meg asked, which other pen maker model do you secret secretly wish you came up with? This is a an amazing question, Meg. It's Thank it's you. a it really makes you think, doesn't it? It does. And I have answers. uh i have two uh one is the shinobi from sean newton uh it's just to me that's just such a fun uh design yeah it's just it's a round it's a round pen with a flat all you know on one side from tip to tail it's just really fun. I've owned uh, several of them over the years. And the the second one would be the Prospector model, which unfortunately has been knocked off and ripped off oh on God. more than one occasion. So many times. Yeah. I mean, let's you know, be original, folks. I mean, mm-hmm. let, uh, <laughs> mm. you know, yes, pens are inherently round shaped pieces of material. But when a, when a person goes through and does something more unique to that shape, let's tread lightly. Leave them alone. People leave them alone. You know, there's enough facets in the pen world. We don't have to, you know, necessarily take other people's designs to, uh, be your own. Agreed. But but those two shapes are probably some of my, my favorite ones uh, as far as the small maker world. If uh, like a Nakaya dorsal fin two would be uh, a third, you know, yeah, that's really a really cool shape. And, you know, like the prospector was one of the first ones in the maker world that was shaped like that. As far as I know, wasn't it? I know it was the first to be shaped like the prospector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the prospector is the original in that shape. We love you, Sean. <laughs> I, I those are both outstanding pins. I saw the. I haven't been able to see a Shinobi in person, but it those that, that was one of the pins that I saw early on when I first started investigating making pins, and I, it's so simple. It's simple and elegant, but it is so freaking cool. You know, yeah. like it is the one and only flush mounted cap, the body pin that I like. It's the only one. I'll second that emotion. <laughs> I'll go with that. Uh, unless I'm forgetting about one. No, I like that pin. It's just, it's, it's like, uh, frank lloyd wright or something like that it's just so simple and so clean and just freaking cool yes how about you brad what would be a model that you secretly wish you came up with and i will say this without shame (laughs) 
and I will say this without any instance of fear of uh, blowback on it or anything like that, because <laughs> um, he already knows that 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 I that I adore his pins. Um, I wish if I could rub the lamp right now and have the genie <laughs> pop out that I could have created the Karina, um, model from Eric Sands over to tell you. So, um, every, every, every Karina, no matter which number or word comes after that, whether it's the, <laughs> I guess, is it the Hapalua or the Rakatsoni or a couple of those like that? Doesn't sure. matter <laughs> because that just makes the Karina even cooler to me. If you add the mother of Pearl or if you add those other things to it. Um, yeah. And I've said time and time again, I have I have a, a, a two or three favorite maker pins. Um, the one that the one that we got from you, the uh, the Coke bottle that was the Arushi. I can't remember the name of the Arushi style that was on there. It was just oh, that, uh, like, Yeah, that one. Then I've got one of John Albert's pins with the handmade hand engraved silver yes. on there. And my Karina's man, like those are just the favorite ones in my collection. Um, and Eric, I I'm jealous as hell, bro. I mean, I wish I could have come up with that design because it's, it's beautiful. It's there's a, there's a, there's a different type of elegance than the simplistic elegance of the Shinobi. It is the professional elegance. Yes. Is this is the way the, I think of it. This is the, just the, the design. It's like a, it's like a Ferrari, like a, like a, or like a bespoke created Mont Blanc suit almost or, or, or something that yeah. there, have you seen how thin the dadgum metal rings are on there? Oh, I, yeah, I have one. I've got a Karina. Oh my God. Like Eric, <laughs> come on, man. So the I'll way buy I think rings Karina, from you now, for, from now on, if you'll sell them to me. <laughs> yeah. I've already yeah. asked. He won't. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't either. If I was, no, his, I wouldn't. His... I don't blame him at all. Um, but yeah, with the Karina, it's professional elegance is kind of the best way I can describe it. Oh yeah. It's to me, mm-hmm. it is what, you know, how we talked earlier about mass manufactured pens, having that quintessential look to them. Right. His almost has that look, but without looking like a manufactured pen. I think his have the look that the manufacturers want to have personally. Yes, that's that's kind of the, that's why I said like I threw the Montblanc name out. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. In, in description. Yes, because I that's how I feel about how he came up with that model and that right the shape, the dimensions, the all the touches that he has to it. Just, just dude. Yeah, I mean, my, mine has a number eight nib in it. Oh, so oh, now I'm jealous of that <laughs> now. But but in speaking with Eric and I've gotten to know Eric, I mean, we live on opposite ends of the country. We've never met in person, but we have been on a bunch of Zoom calls and we've, you know, messaged through Instagram several times over the years. And just first off, the attention to the design work that he has is is insane the uh, the details he puts into the pens are insane but also he's he's like a lot of the other makers that we have that are just so kind-hearted and willing to share and willing to speak with you 
about what you do and passing on that knowledge, you know? Oh yeah. Um, he is so much fun to hang out with at pin shows. Like I look forward to seeing him in LA uh, in a couple months. One of these days I'm going to have to share a glass of wine and some weird music with him. Yes. Cause we uh, both like weird tunes and weird bands and weird music. Well, not type mainstream, you know, not weird yes. is an odd word. Well, Eclectic. whatever. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but so yes i i wish that i had created the the karina model all day long i can see that all day long it's so nice you're gonna make me want to go ink my, and i want to ink mine up now <laughs> my second choice was the charleston like we like we talked about earlier, <laughs> but only because it sells so well. I guess that's just, I, I, yeah, that's my best selling model. Ten to yeah, but the, ten, but ten the, to one. The mythic pins Charleston would not sell as well as the Carolina pins <laughs> Charleston would. I've got, I mean, yeah. I've got like ten of them on the shelf up there. I should, you know, yeah, and I, I have measured them before. I have like torn them apart and measured them before. Because remember <laughs> when I came back? Because we picked up. I think I picked up like two pins from you. I picked up one at the show. I yes. bought the I bought the faux um, Tibaldi Aiken. Yeah, that was the Aiken model in a in a matte finish, and it still looks just as good as the day it was finished. Um, and we bought that Fire Opal Charleston. Okay. And so when I got back, I had to take the Charleston apart to remember what you told me. That's why I took it apart and, and measured it because I was trying to remember. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a note down and I didn't understand, so I took the pen and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, got it." Now, wasn't trying to copy the Charleston, uh -huh. but, but <laughs> you know, it helped me along in my journey. So, you know, there we go. oh yeah, I mean, I and I just admitted it. I just admitted it on the on the seemingly number one podcast about pin making ever so you know whatever <laughs> we're still number one in what south america Is that uh, right? all the countries all the countries where the, we're the only one yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um and and i and i i agree with your i agree with both of those pins the 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 oh the shinobi man yeah shinobi is if there wasn't a multiple year wait list for one Right. I mean, um, and I I still might join the multiple year way. It, it would just like show up one day out of nowhere and I'd be like, ooh. Yeah, it'd be one of those. Oh, yeah, I, forget, I forget about this. Yeah, let's do this. I used to play that video game on Nintendo too. The it was with the Oh ninjas. yes. Uh my favorite uh gosh, if we get into vintage video games, we're gonna be here for a while. Okay, like what's your Let's say um, Nintendo right. NES. What was your favorite? Oh, Zelda. Okay. Zelda, hands down. Okay. I still have okay. it. Still have it. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. That or Excite Bike. Now, Excite Bike was my favorite because you could make your own courses. Yes. That was my favorite on NES. Okay. So, NES, Super NES. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm a big Zelda fan, so I'm gonna have to go Zelda again. I Street Fighter, man, Street Fighter tur Two Turbo, <laughs> loved it because I would just get like the big M Bison guy and just go rrr, 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 from side to side, <laughs> kill everybody. Okay, <laughs> Nintendo sixty four. I wonder if it's the same one as mine. Goldeneye. 
Goldeneye. Yeah. In my dorm at the University of Georgia when I first went to college on a 13-inch color TV with four <laughs> with four people playing Goldeneye against each other. Oh my gosh. That's memories right there, man. I don't All I don't right. I didn't really play Sega that much. If I it was a, Sega, it would be Sonic. I love Sonic the Hedgehog. That was a fun game to play. See, I had a Sega Genesis, and I don't know if I if it, if it's even a documented hack or cheat or whatever. But I discovered one in Mortal Kombat Two on the gen. It was only on the Genesis, and it was something with the character Kung Lao, where if you did a certain button combination that I figured out. You could do his fatality in the first round on the first punt on the first no way, and it would be an instant win. God about Mortal Kombat, man. So definitely that yeah. on the Genesis. Uh, then I was uh, I was never I was never an Xbox fan. No, I was I've always been PlayStation. After the Genesis, there were just too many buttons on the controllers, and my brain wasn't <laughs> wired for that. That's that's how my parents felt. Like me, I transitioned pretty well. Like PlayStation can't do it. There's too many buttons. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm finally getting uh, Shay and Aiden into uh, the PlayStation. They're playing the the Hogwarts Legacy game. I played currently Call of Duty. I think is the only. Oh, there was a there was a Star Wars. Uh, was it game. the battle the Battlefront multiplayer or uh, Jedi Academy? No, it was a. It was where you were like Darth Vader's new apprentice oh, or whatever. The, the, For- the Force it's, Awakens. It's it's been a while on this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and oh, did you were you not a Sega Master System player? No, never had. Okay, that one. pole position on Sega Master System, the racing game, the oh, horrible, yeah. horrible eight yeah. bit racing game was just amazing <laughs> there yeah, we just, go yeah see uh, memory lane right there i mean i remember playing et on the atari the most pointless game ever oh played. good lord yeah you couldn't do any now i i was a pitfall fan i like pitfall i played that a lot Pit, pitfall pong asteroids what was it was it millipede or centipede 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 yeah, and there was probably a knockoff version called Millipede. <laughs> probably was there wasn't there one uh, dirt Diggler dig or dug dig dug yes dig Cubert Cubert yes. was a good one. Man, now I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling the years now, dude. I remember we had a computer that we got somehow. I don't know where it came from, but it was one of those where you had to program. You had to like type the code. Mm-hmm. To, to make the game work or whatever. And you basically created the game through, it, it had this spiral bound book and it would be like, Oh, to play hangman or whatever, or to play oh, tic-tac-toe. Wow. It would take seven hours <laughs> when you could have just gotten a piece of paper out and played tic-tac-toe, you know, um, where's the fun in that? I, it would have been more fun looking back. Um, probably, but yeah, I was trying to remember if there were any like other, like super standouts, as Twist the Metal as... for me was one of my favorites on the PlayStation. Ar- Did you have a favorite arcade machine to play on? Oh, Killer Instinct, probably. Okay, I'm down with that. I'm 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 very down with that. However, I liked 
I liked whatever one moved. Like you sat in it, you were an air, you were a fighter oh, pilot like or whatever. Top Gun or something. Because I, there's, I, there's an old uh, Nintendo game for you. Oh yeah, Top Gun. Land, oh, land on aircraft carrier. That was Never. tough. That was tough. <laughs> that was Never. tough. So we're gonna segue into the end of the show on that one. Um, <laughs> speaking of the end of the show, uh, we still have our Secret Santa going on right now. The biggest Secret Santa we've ever had which is great ever ever makes it sound like we haven't done it only three times <laughs> but um great turnout this year i've been i've been checking in on the we have a group on the instagram a group message on there and people are starting to get them turned out and get them sent um i have received mine i have yet to ship mine i'm debating on with I've I've made two. I'm trying to pick which one I want to send. Okay. <laughs> um. So remember, the goal is to have them arrive by Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um. But we're going to try to pick a a day at some point, week to week and a half after that for the show and tell that we normally have. We'll post a picture of that or a, a screenshot of that on the website when we do it. We will announce it in the group and. If you can make it outstanding, we won't hold against you. Every year we've done it, we've had some people that couldn't make it either because of the time of day. Um, the folks that live six hours time differences away from us, sometimes it's difficult to get in at a, at a good time of day. Some people have yeah. to work and all that kind of stuff, but we'll do that. Um, and thank you to everybody who's participated in that because you've made it. We've had so far. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And uh, the person who sent me mine was uh had a little fun with the return address because it's because it doesn't have their name on it oh did you it's not ticking is it did you check to make sure no 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 it's it it says uh the return address is as the pen turns secret santa how creative for the name and it's got the address and you know Unless I go through all my contacts list, I might be able to find out who it is. How, but how I, appropriate! I, I, I'd rather be surprised. And then they've got uh, on the box itself because it's a fairly large box. Um, on the very top of it, it just says uh, "No peeking." Open the side. <laughs> is it going to be like one of those nesting dolls? It's actually a pocket <laughs> pin, but it's in like seven <laughs> different boxes. That'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't That's be upset awesome. with that. Um, but yeah, thanks again for everybody who, who joined in with that one. That's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's making it, it gives people a chance to make a pin for a different reason than you normally would kind of stretch, stretch your abilities a, a little bit, maybe kind of have some fun with make a complete prank pin out of it too. I mean, you could do it. You could do anything you wanted to do with it. It's great. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> we don't really have anything coming up. It's the end of the year for most of us. Um, I'm going to try to get in the shop in a couple of weeks and knock out a bunch of pins, um, try to get some on the website, maybe throw some in a box for Atlanta so I can not do like I've done the last two years and try to make everything <laughs> the seven days in seven days leading up to the show. Um, yeah, no, don't do that. Yeah. So I may just take take a little while off and just kind of clear my head about things a little bit. That's kind of what I'm hoping to do is just shut down for a couple of weeks and just relax enjoy the holiday season spend time with family and i don't think anybody would blame you in mid to late december every year yeah for doing that. no because i mean if somebody wanted to buy something and get it by christmas they would have that it's time's up <laughs> right right so 
and yeah. that uh yeah so if you're interested interested i've been talking for like an hour and a half and i all of a sudden can't do it um if you're <laughs> interested in any of jonathan's wares where could they find them at carolinapincompany.com if it's, you want to know where his wares are yes and where is our rad's wares i only have a few of them um you can go to the website mythicpins.com uh look at the mythic shop i'm going to be working on my website in the new year trying to retool it a little bit um different pages and things like that uh i've had some comments about hey could you list this in the sale thing and so i want to put a little bit more about how um how like sizing and things like that you know diameters and whatnot and thanks for reminding me i still have two discount codes that are going to be good until the last pin on the website is sold turkey 23 started that one around thanksgiving and then for those of you who are maker fanatics who have a bunch of yovo nibs laying around you can save 10 (laughs) extra dollars by putting code no nib in okay you save yourself 10 extra bucks um so yeah thanks to everybody who has taken part in that sale so far Finally got everything shipped out and everything. I'm I'm the worst. Awesome. That's uh, okay. It, I'm the worst. I'm horrible at res- email responses. So oh, I'm horrible at that too. So it's just <laughs> it's just compounding. That's why I didn't create the Karina because I'm horrible at stuff. <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned in a couple more weeks. We'll have another episode. I think. Um, we're probably going to exhaust this Q&A day thing a little bit before we go back because we're going to give people a, after the holidays a good chance to to uh, reconnoiter, if you will, before we yeah. start the interviews back up. And looking at the dates, we should be able to get in one more before Christmas. I think so. It would come out, so. I think, after Christmas, looking at the calendar. but Yeah, I think it would be the week after when it would actually come out, right? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, we'll 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 figure it out because I think well, in two weeks is Christmas Eve itself. So yeah, so it would be recorded technically. Ooh, we'll have to talk about that after the show. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll figure out some schedule. Um, maybe do a little because if it's Q and A, we can. <laughs> we've yeah. learned that we can go. We can go right. pretty lengthy on these. And the day after Christmas, I have to drive to the deepest, darkest reaches of South Georgia for work for a couple of days. So, oh, geez, we can we can get it figured out. It's not anything that we haven't faced before. Right. Exactly. Maybe um, it'll be the uh, the solo Arushi special that there just, you go. <laughs> I just it was just going to like let Jonathan just record two hours of himself talking to himself. Oh, hey, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just put a, put a, well, you don't need the mirror because you can see yourself on the screen. So, yeah. Um, and when we start the uh, for the members out there listening, um, it, when we start the interviews back up, we will start the members Q&A up as well, like we were doing before the interviews where we can right. meet, meet with you all. And then we'll pick somebody to come on live and ask a question of that interviewer. Uh, we still have our membership program out there. We're revamping some things still. If you're interested in making a donation to the podcast to help support the podcast and help keep the pos- the podcast running, um, you can go to the website at thepinturns.com. Uh, we are going to be, like I said, we're going to be revamping it. Some of the things that are listed there may not be accurate currently. Uh, we are in the throes of talking about what we're going to do with everything. So, but we do appreciate our members. Thank you so much. You help us. Yes. You help us keep us running. Every part of this pro- podcast costs money. 
except for basically us sitting here talking to each other because we we enjoy conversation with each other. We're all good friends and everything, but everything else about this podcast costs money. Yeah, we would be having these conversations without the recording process. No, we would not. <laughs> but if you're interested in that, the website, thepinturns.com, also has one of the largest lists of resources for the pin making community that I know of. Yeah, and use definitely. That. Check out the resources page on the website. So on the oh, you look like you're you look like you had a thought. I know that Jonathan, I had a thought <laughs> face. Uh Precio, what what episode number was it that we discussed with had all of the Oh yeah. One of the questions we got was where do you buy all your supplies? There's an episode 27. Episode yes. 27. If you go to thepinturns.com, click on episodes, go down to episode 27. There is a ridiculous list of show notes after that one that has where we get a lot of our materials, our supplies for all that stuff. Hopefully that'll help you out and answer the question. If not, we'll keep it on the books and we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Again. Yeah, it, we'll get more in depth on it. But for now, if anybody was looking to get something immediate, more on the you know immediate side of things, hit up that, that show note and then you'll have, you'll, you can hate us later with how much money you'll spend. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, we'll have another episode uh, come out close to Christmas or, or around or around there. Um, if everybody, you know, until that, we hope everybody has a, hot, a happy season <laughs> and you get some rest and you get some relaxation and you get to see your families and you get to see your friends. And, uh, yeah. Over have a couple laughs while listening to at, yeah, yeah. Have, have some laughs while listening to us either laugh with us or at us one we don't care yeah. right yeah. we're good with it yeah I'm sure we've given you reason to do both so <laughs> from everybody here at the As The Pin Turns family I'm Brad I'm Jonathan everybody have a great week nailed it yes we did we